Anyone here got like an English A-level? Or speak multiple languages or an English degree or anything? Okay, well, for, the, for those of you that, you know, that way inclined, uh, you, you might find this morning slightly offensive um, in that I'm speaking from a passage in the Old Testament which has got a bunch of kind of names and stuff in it, most of which I'm just going to get marvelously wrong. Okay, um, and just, just, just for reference, I don't mind. Okay, so I'm not embarrassed by that. Um, if you've got a better pronunciation about it, that's fine. Don't come and tell me afterwards. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. <laughs> Seems like a good plan. Oh, Father God. Father God, you are so good and so faithful. Thank you that you don't get colds or COVID or have grumpy days. You don't wake up in the morning and think, oh no, it's Monday. That you're always hopeful for us. You're always hopeful for your church. I thank you that in heaven, it's a good day today. Amen. And help me with some words. Amen. Um, so, uh, we're on this uh, little journey through various kind of wells and springs and water features in Scripture. And um, today I want to introduce you to my favorite one. Uh, does anyone know which beach this is? Yes, of course it is. It's the only beach I know. It's the only beach I go to. The best beach in the world, Polzeth Beach in North Cornwall. Um, on this beach, I've had the best of life experiences and the worst of life experiences. I have got more sunburn on this beach than anywhere else in my life. I've had surfing accidents that I can't mention in plight company. We've scattered the ashes of my mum and we'll scatter the ashes of my dad just on the uh, left-hand side behind the, little, behind the little house there. A bit further up the cliff, we'll scatter dad's ashes in May this year. The best of times and the worst of times. And whenever we go to this place, I always, uh, during the course of the week or couple of weeks that we're there, I try and have a moment where I escape and just go and find a little bit of quiet time on the beach, preferably with the sun setting, and have a moment. And what I'm doing in that moment, I'm digging deep into all of the things that have happened in that place. But actually, I'm not digging deep to the surfing experiences or even the bits of uh, life that have been difficult. I'm not digging deep to the, to the sunburn. I'm digging deep to the encounters that I've had with the presence of God in that place. Because it's in Polzeth where at a Christian camp when I was about 15 years old, I discovered uh, what, was a new, what was a refreshment but felt like for the first time the delight and the wonder of for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
as the gospel was literally hammered home to us under the canvas every single night and we sang good old gospel songs. And I danced in the fields the following day like Julie Andrews. (laughs) Because I was so delighted, so overwhelmed that I, an ordinary bloke, could be reconnected, forgiven, loved by the creator of the entire universe. So I go and sit on a beach and I look at a sunset and I go, Jesus, thank you. As we come to today's passage, um, I'm going to read a few verses as we go along, but um, you, you need to go and do your homework. Okay, Uh, last week, uh, the passage that Jez preached from was 60 plus verses, Um, uh, so he didn't read them all. I'm not going to read them all this morning either. Um, I've not got, I've I've got half the amount, but you're going to go and need to do the homework uh, or open it up on your phone, on your Bible. Uh, It is, we're in Genesis uh, chapter 26, and the context is that Isaac, uh, his dad, Abraham, uh, has now died. Uh, Isaac is uh, one of Abraham's sons. If you remember from last week, uh, or the the week before, I'm I'm slightly full of cold, so I'm slightly addled. uh, Abraham had had two sons. He had had Ishmael with his, uh, with his slave girl, Hagar, because he kind of tried to take things into his own hands, never worked so well. Uh, and then eventually Sarah had become pregnant and they had had Isaac. And now Abraham is dead and Isaac is uh, living probably in the Negev, just south of uh, Bathsheba. Um, I put this map up here, not not because it's necessarily very accurate, but I just wanted you to have a little bit of context for the story in terms of the geography. And nothing from today is a comment about what is happening now in that region other than, please pray, please pray. So Isaac finds himself in this context where his dad has died and suddenly there is famine in the land. And so what he does is he moves out of the land that he has been living in and he heads off to this place which uh, I looked up on my Bible app this morning and apparently you're supposed to pronounce this uh, Girah. But I just prefer that he moved in the direction of Girah. So I hope that's okay. That's what we're going to go with this morning. That seems like a much better pronunciation because things weren't going well, so he went in the direction of Gra. Anyone else feel like they ever travel in that direction? Yes. Of course we do. So he's, he's heading in the direction of Gra, which is never a good place to go because in Gra lives this king, a Abimelech. Now, don't get confused because this is not the Abimelech, probably, that Abraham had cut a deal with uh, a few chapters earlier. This is probably Abimelech's son, and now he is the king. And so, just for ease of reference, they call them all the same name, which is really helpful for all of us. Um, so he, uh, he goes and hangs out in Gra because that's the place you want to be where there's a famine going on. But his long-term goal, it seems, is that he's going to go beyond Gra into an even worse place. He is going to head to Egypt and he gets to Gra and then suddenly God speaks. 
Anyone, anyone have that experience of, of kind of going off, taking things into your own hands, heading into the, into the hill countries of Grah, and suddenly God breaks in and speaks. For Isaac, this is the first time, first recorded time where Almighty God is speaking to him rather than just to his father. And the covenant gets renewed between Isaac and God. Those blessings that Abraham received, I will bless you, I'll make you a great nation, you will be a blessing to others. Those formational verses in Genesis chapter 12, suddenly they become the inheritance for Isaac. And God says, God says to Isaac, look, look stay, stay in Gra since you're here. But don't go to Egypt. Interesting kind of side note on this. It looks like he's going to walk into the same fight his dad had. So Abraham fights, you know, has this whole ruckus going on with Abimelech and they have to come cut a deal. And, and it looks like Isaac is just about to walk into the same thing. Folks, we do have a choice. We can either fight the same fights as the people who went before us, or we can have the same fruit. What would you prefer? The same fruit. Good answer. Yes. So God says to him, stay. So this is the first revelation that he has, his first encounter with God. So he stays in Gra for a bit. You don't, you don't want to stay in Gra for too long. It's not a healthy place to be. And the covenant continues and and suddenly Isaac finds himself connected to something bigger, the call of Almighty God where he's shaping a person, a family, a people for himself, for the redemption of the whole world. And he stays and he plants crops and, and then there's a whole weird story in the middle of uh, Genesis 26 which you need to go and read about and then go, that's a bad plan, I'm never going to do that. And the plan was, uh, my wife is gorgeous, and so because we are in the land of someone else, Abimelech, and it's a Gra land, uh, I am going to tell everyone else that she's not my wife, she's my sister. Can I just say, don't do that. One of the easiest things in the Bible is to go, that's a bad plan, don't do that one. It never, it just, there's a couple of people that do it, and it never really works out well. So, um... Anyway, he gets there, he plants crops, he, the, the family grows, he becomes more and more influential in the land. And then there's this thing that starts to happen with wells. You see, in, in, order, to, in order to water his, his uh, animals, He's got, to have, he's got to have access to a well. And Abraham has been in the land before him, his father, and, his, and has been digging these wells. So he is, he is living off the fruit, the work of his father. But at the point that Abimelech's, Abimelech's crowd of men get annoyed with him and see that he is doing well, what do they do? They come and stop up the wells. They fill up the wells. They cut off his access to water, which means they're cutting off his livelihood. 
And so uh, Abimelech comes to Isaac and he says, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So he moves away and he's encamped a little bit further up. He's still not escaped. Grah. He's now just in the valley of Grah, which is like Grah, but still with the consequences. They're still hanging around. And in that place, what he does is he reopens the wells that his father had dug in that place. He reopens the wells, and, and in that place, he, he grows, and, it's, and it becomes even more fruitful. And what's interesting, when he reopens the wells, note this bit, is he gives them the same names that his dad had given him, had given them. So they, he reopens a well, and he names the well. And then Isaac's servants uh, go out into the valley and, and they discover more fresh water there. And, and, but then the herders of Grur come and find them and they quarrel with them about the water. They quarrel with them about the water and they say, hang on, hang on, Th this water's ours, this well is ours. And so Isaac names the well. Now, this is a good one for a dyslexic. He names the well Isik. I love that. Actually, I looked that up. That is actually the correct pronunciation. So there you go. Um, th this well has become bitter between them. It's making them sick, and so he names it Isik. That's a really terrible. Don't ignore all that. Um, but that's how I remember it. Be because Isik means dispute. There was a dispute between them, and so he names the well Dispute, Isik. And so what do they do next? Well, they go and they dig another well, but they quarrel about that one as well. And so this well gets named too. And this well gets named Sitnar, which means opposition. And so they go and dig another well. And no one quarrels over this well. So this well gets named Rehoboth. Which means now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Psalm 18 verse 19. He brought me out into a spacious place. He gave me room. He rescued me. And he delighted me. Delighted in me. So Isaac, they dig the wells and they name the wells. And then there's this second encounter because after they've been in this spacious space, it's like Isaac is going, ah, now we're moving in the right direction. So he starts to move away from Grah. And he moves to this amazing place called Beersheba. This is a place of significant encounter in Scripture. It's a place where Abraham had encountered God, where he'd heard God speak. This is one of Isaac's key encounters. It's the place where Jacob has encounters with God. It comes up again and again and again in Scripture. And so he has this 
second encounter with God at Bathsheba, and, and he builds an altar there. And, and at the same time as he's building an altar, his altar, his servants have gone off and, they, and they've dug another well. And Abimelech comes to Isaac, and following in their father's footsteps, they make a treaty. They agree to live at peace, verses 26 to 30. And then Isaac's servants come in and, and they say, hey, Isaac, guess what? We found water. We dug another well. And so this well is named Shinba or Oath or Seven. And that place becomes known as Beersheba, which means a place or a well of seven or a well of oaths. What do we do with all this stuff? What do we do with this, with this strange story of, of randomly going around and digging wells in a country and then naming them? Well, there's, you know, there's a number of ways of kind of looking at Scripture, and, and, and this series, if you like, is, is kind of taking, uh, rather, than, uh, rather than the sort of uh, geographical way of, uh, of unpicking Scripture or, or just the narrative way, what we're doing is we're, we're, looking at, we're looking at Scripture through a prophetic lens. And so these wells are significant, these water sources, these springs are significant because they're not just about uh, the physical provision and prosperity of the people who gather around them, but they are about the spiritual encounter that people have with the living God. They are about places of digging deep, about the overflow of literally the water of life into the land and to the people. So my first question is this, when life gets tough, where do you run? Where's your go-to? What's, your, what's the thing that you go to? Maybe, maybe you're like Isaac. Maybe it's like, gosh, famine. Where do we go in famine? The biggest place we can find. We'll, well, first of all, we'll head to because I'm grumpy. And then we'll go to Egypt because they're like really organized and stuff. It's always a bad plan in the Bible to head to Egypt. It just, you know, it it's, tends, to, tends to not work well. Um... You know, unless you're going to go and hang out there in hiding for a bit because you're the Messiah and then come back. Um, when life gets tough, where do, where do you go? What's your go-to? Because frankly, it, 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 following Jesus is not a promise that life will not be tough. We believe that Jesus breaks in and heals bodies and provides in amazing ways. But that does not mean that you will not get ill, and you will certainly die. So at some point, maybe you're going to be ill before that, because that's often how that works. And there will be financial trouble along the way, as well as amazing provision. And there will be trouble with your kids and your neighbors. And we will find ourselves in a context where we look at the news and we go, really, might it end up like that? It's not easy. Where do you go? What do you reach for? Well, 
Maybe, maybe you're like the disciples and it's like, hey, great, well, I know. We, you remember that thing we used to do, fishing? Let's go back to that, lads. Let's go and hang out there because we know how to do that. You know, it's kind of neutral. It's okay. Some of the things, that, some of the places that we go to, they're okay. Other places, they're not so good. Heading off to Egypt, not so good. You know, having um, a, a glass of wine, okay. Having two bottles of wine, not okay. You know, why, and why, wine is just, is just the, you know, middle class person's heroin. I mean, let's not mince our words about it. Addiction is addiction. Yeah? It's just that you could buy it in the local shop rather than at the shop on the street corner. That's all. Where do you go to? Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're like Jonah. It's like, I know, I'll go and hide in a whale. That's definitely a good plan. This whale will transport me to a new place and everything will be fine as I sit in this sick. It's fine. Or maybe, maybe you're like King David. You know, he should have been at war. He should have been doing the thing. You know, it's not advocated nowadays, but that's the thing that King should have done at that time. And he got distracted, stayed home. And rather than going and being a worshiper at, at Beersheba, he goes and hangs out at the other one with Bathsheba. He's like, man, have you seen that? Wow, I've got to get me some of that. And he literally gets her over. This is a bad plan. If, you're, if, if your go-to place is to go to Bathsheba, oh, and some of you know what that means, you need to not go there. And if you don't know how to do that, what you need to do is you need to find someone else, another man or woman, someone of the same sex, and go talk to them about your trips to Bathsheba. You know what I mean? Are you nodding or are you, am I, have I lost you slightly? Some of you, yeah, enough of you are nodding that you know, where I, you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Bathsheba is so much of a better place. Bathsheba. Bathsheba is a, is a place that, that wrecks lives and wrecks marriages. Where do we get to? Where do you go when life gets tough? Where do you run to? Because if you know where you run to, then you're much more likely to become aware that you're starting to go there. The first step is to know where you run to and to name it. Name the places that you run to. You know, the great news is, is that God will use us, walk with us, be gracious to us. Even if we land in Bathsheba rather than Beersheba. Beersheba. No, we just hold you. Dyslexic is very confusing talk. He's so gracious to us. And he doesn't leave us on the wasteland. But he walks with us and forgives us. There's another thing that happens that is interesting here. If, you see, if, if, the, if the wells are a, are a picture, an image of the presence of God, then what you've got in this passage is a whole bunch of people fighting over the presence of God. Does that sound familiar? You know, it's what happens in churches, isn't it? It's what happens in denominations and, and with ministries. You know, someone, someone gets onto a good thing and it's like, wow, God's doing a good thing over here. And what we end up doing is we end up fighting over the presence of God. We, we need to stop that, folks. 
Churches across the world needs to stop that. And where have we see that in us, in me, in you? We need to put a stop to that. To agree that, that, that Jesus is the one that's king, not a person. You know, he's the one that leads us to the Father, not, not a senior pastor or a worship leader. Where there's fighting over the wells, we need to stop the fighting and get our eyes on King Jesus. Some of the language around that is, you know, my, my, you know the beginnings of it is about my ministry. You know, have you, not, have you not seen my ministry? Have you not seen the things that, that I can bring to the church? The way that, that God has said he's going to use me and, and the things that he's going to do. And of course, he says those things and he leads us into those things, of course. But there's a flip that happens and it's really subtle where suddenly the things that he said that he would do, they become mine. My ministry. You know, one of the things that I'm glad of as I look around this church and I look around the the plaques on the wall and I often go and look at them and I read them and I thank God for the people that have preceded us in this little bit of geography that we happen to inhabit. And I'm grateful for them. But one of the things that I am most grateful for is that my name and Meg's name will never be on a plaque on these walls. I'm really grateful for that because it's not about us. I've got my name carved in stone in a church building somewhere. And I'm so uncomfortable with it. I've got my name painted in, in glorious black letters on a lovely, beautifully varnished wooden board in another church. And interestingly, it was hung up about two weeks before I resigned. I'm not interested. And you shouldn't be either. As they dig, as Isaac digs for water, there is opposition. As we dig for the presence of God, there will be opposition. But the thing to note is this, is that just because there's opposition doesn't mean that you're right. You know, we need to have a real serious emotional health check around all of this stuff. You know, sometimes when we're doing stuff and we're pursuing the fullness of what God wants to do, you're right, sometimes people are opposing God and they're getting in the way and we need to pray them out of the way. And we need to do that and I've done that and, and, I, and I know that you guys do that too. Sometimes though, sometimes... Maybe it's that the Holy Spirit is wanting to shape you rather than them. Maybe there's still some work to do in you and me that he wants to do. And so the opposition is coming not because he doesn't want his will done, but because he's still got stuff to do with his will and he needs to sort you out. And sometimes that can feel really confusing. How would you know if this is you? If, if you're the problem, <laughs> how, how will you know? 
Well, one of the key indicators will be that your perception is that everyone else is the problem. If everyone else is the problem, you need to turn the specs round and look at you because it's highly probable that you might be a teeny weeny bit part of the problem or possibly a lot of a bigger problem than that. If your perception is that everyone else should see things exactly as I see it because I've got it so right and if only they all knew, that's an indication that there's a problem. Because he does set things on your heart and he will speak to you and he will give you clarity about scripture and about the prophetic and about mission and about pastoral care and about teaching and and all sorts of things. But in order to get all of those sorts of things done, he has put us in a body called the church where he is the head and I am not. And that means that I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. So if the language is in your heart, if only they could all see just that they could just get this, then everything, then Jesus would return. There might be a problem that the Holy Spirit wants to address with you. And you might even want to do it today. Or, uh, yeah, I can say that one. Or if you're a serial church hopper, how will you know if you're a serial church hopper? Well, you, what, what, uh, you know, we, in every church, there's always a little bit of transfer growth. In, in every town, there's always a little bit. Tra- you know, so if, if, the, if the attendance is half this next week, then okay. Um, there, there's, there's, always, there's always some transfer, okay? Uh, what, what, what we don't want to see is we don't want to see unhealthy transfer. And that comes from church hopping. From going, oh, do you know what? Have you seen what they're doing over there? That is amazing. Come on, we've got to go and be over there. Because what's happening here is rubbish. Honestly, they've got no idea. Because we, you know? And so you go over here and you go, yeah, this is great. It's amazing. Look at this place. Look at this church. Wow, they're doing everything right. Look at the welcome. Look at the band. Look at the PA. Look at the screens. Look at the pink lighting. Two weeks. Did you notice three weeks ago before Christmas, it was blue. Now it's pink. Yes. Come on. Thanks, Phil, by the way. That's really good. Um, and then in six weeks' time, you're kind of going, yeah, but the thing that I'm really passionate, they're not doing that. If only they could do that. Then, then, and then you suddenly find yourself slowly slipping out of the door, looking for the next shiny place. Folks, if we're going to build something here, whether you've been here five minutes, and even if you have come from another church, and you're so welcome, what we need to do is build something where we as a body get to walk with each other as Jesus the head and use our complementary gifting and skills and passions for his purposes, not ours. Amen? Amen. 
do come back next week. <laughs> um, you know, here, here, this might be news for you. The Holy Spirit is more interested in your character development than your ministry. He is more interested in how you are doing with the fruit of the Spirit than the things that you produce for his kingdom. What do I mean by that? You see, we're supposed to grow in him. We're supposed to grow to become more and more like him. And so our, our character and our fruitfulness, the fruit of the, the, not fruitfulness, but the fruit of the spirit of which one of those things is the, yeah, you know what I mean, um, uh, is supposed to grow over time. So as we, as we grow in faith, yeah, there should be more patience, kindness, love, self-control. Yeah, that makes sense. Where that is not happening, where that is declining, where the line is going the other way, then what we need to do is we need to come back to the cross. If your line is going the other way, if you are becoming more, if you're becoming less loving over time, less patient, less kind, then get back to the cross. Take it to Jesus. You know, the thing is this, is that, is that Jesus is more interested in the journey than the destination. I'll say it again. He is more interested in the journey than the destination. You see, if he's got a job that really needs doing on planet Earth... And you are not up for it because you are not growing in kindness, patience, love, gentleness, self-control. That's okay. He's got a bunch of other people that he can use to get the job done. And he will do that. He will, he will just, he will bypass, he will go around and he'll wait for you to catch up. Because he is more interested in shaping you on the journey than in you arriving at that particular destination. And if you need to stay in the wilderness, wandering around and around and around around in circles, or in planet Grr for 40 years, as he waits patiently for you to catch up, that's what he'll do, because he loves you so much. And if he puts you into that place before those things have grown in you, then what will happen is when you get into that place, you will go bang, and you'll stumble and you'll fall. You'll find yourself having landed in the wrong place, having landed in Greer or Egypt or wherever. There's this thing, though, and this is the bulk of what I want to say today, and it's, it's relatively brief, but I think it's the most important bit. You see, this set of verses I bumped into uh, just over, just under two and a half years ago. And so I've been living with this set of verses all that time and I'm mulling them and, and pondering them. And, and, and this, is, this is what I, I heard someone else teach at the time. And it was, it was just a couple of sentences that I heard them say. But this is what really struck me. You see, Isaac goes and digs these wells. And he has his servants dig these wells. And there's dispute. So he names the well Dispute. And there's opposition, so he names the well opposition. 
and he goes and digs another well. And this time it's spacious. It's a fruitful place. It's like, yeah, great, we're getting there. Folks, there will be places in our lives where we experience great pain, where we get wounded by other people, by churches, by people in churches, by institutions, by businesses, by countries even. And what we can do, what our default for that pain is, is to, you know, unless you've stayed and fought, the default is to run away. You know, you might freeze, you might, you might fight, but most of us run away. It's like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> I'm going to go. And so we go, and, you know, I, I, you know just to give a little running illustration, because Jez gave so many last week, it was amazing. You know, what we try and do is, is like an endurance runner. We, we, we try and run away from this thing. And at the point that we get exhausted and need a rest and collapse, what we find is the thing that we were running away from has got more endurance than us and is right there. It's caught us up at that point of rest where we thought it was okay. And the thing about running away from that pain is we literally become blinkered when we're in flight mode. We literally become blinkered and we cannot see as much as we could see before. We cannot experience as much as we could experience before because joy and pain are experienced in the same place in the brain. And so if you shut down the pain bit, because it's too difficult. What you do is you shut down the joy bit. And you get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I think in here what we have is a, is a wonderful picture about what we're to do instead. And that's to name the things that have happened. And so I have taken time to name the things that have happened to me. Sometimes that's a brief moment in prayer. Sometimes it's journaling and literally going, Holy Spirit, what do I, what do I call that? Because that really hurts and I don't want to avoid it. And I hear from the Holy Spirit and he goes, I'm not going to tell you the stuff or what he's told me. But I have a name for that stuff. And sometimes it's in that moment, sometimes it's in prayer ministry that you can help to work some of that stuff and, and you can then experience God breaking in, he can, he can heal you and it's done in a moment. Other times you might need to find a friend or a professional friend to, to walk with you over a season and for me what I found is, is actually I needed not just to name these things once, I needed to, I needed to get some help and to have, have a professional friend that I could, I could walk with. You know, it could help me to name some of this stuff. Folks, you can't run from the things that have been difficult. You have to stand and name them. Because it's only by naming them that you then have the courage to say, okay, I'm going to pick up the shovel and I'm going to keep on digging 
for the presence of God. You see, the danger is this, is that, is that because of the pain that we experience, and all of us experience these things along the way in different ways, what it means is we, is we, get, we get less enthusiastic about digging. Less enthusiastic about digging for the presence of God. And we go, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that again because it hurt. I don't want to do that again because I can't, I can't see that it could bear any fruit other than pain. And so we stop digging and we put the shovels down. And folks, my encouragement to do for, for today is, is for you to keep on digging. Name the wells, do the things that you need to do, but also to be people that keep on digging. You know, and if you keep on digging, then what will happen in the land? Your land will be holy, and God wants us holy. That is a terrible dyslexic joke. <sighs> yeah, it's awful. It just came to me, you know. <laughs> I know. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you want to be holy? Do you want to be full, full of holes where you've dug the land of your life and there's all these places that you can go back to and go, oh, do you remember when? Do you remember when God did this and Lord do it again? As well as, Lord, come and do a new thing now in this place. Notice where Isaac lands at the end of this passage. He's in Beersheba. That place of promise. That place of presence. That place of covenant. He's learned to be a well digger, seeking the presence of God. Shall we stand? We're going to pray. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Come and do what you want to do. I'm just going to take a little moment just to be still. Um, ask the band to come up. Um, it's a very uh, full and rich bit of unpacking there and I think there are a number of people who who put their shovels down a while ago but have some some way sort of landed back in a place where perhaps realizing that some of these things are still to be those promises that I have you've been carrying for a long time that God's still wanting to do stuff and more a new season, that nothing ever goes to waste.
you know, those many years of, of carrying some of that disappointment. So we're just going to create a little bit of space um, for you to respond. Um, we've got um, a prayer team um, who would love to pray for you, but actually this is, a, this is almost just being uh, where you are and just asking the Lord, what do I need to put down? What do I need to pick up? What do you want to name with me, Lord? And just invite the Holy Spirit into that place. So we're just going to have a little bit of worship, gentle worship. Um, and that those images of wells, you know, Mark talked about wells that have been um, deliberately stopped, like they've been capped. Wells that have been, there's been dispute and opposition. Wells where there's been water that has been so, just so flourishing, so much of it. And also that great desire that God, it's God, it comes from God in the first place to go and dig for new wells. Some of you have got such a heart for just discovering those places. And as I look out, I, I spot all sorts of different ages and people who've been involved in ministry stuff over the years, people who've carried things on their heart. And this is just an opportunity to have a little bit of a kind of health check. Lord, what do you want me to do in this time and place? And are there places that I need to go back and name? Are there places that I need to go and dig? Are there places where I actually need to walk back and go and uncap? Is the Lord asking you to do that? And for some of you, just so excited about going, stepping into a new place. Maybe you just need a new shovel something that's a bit sharper, something that's a bit heavier, stronger. Maybe your tools are a little bit blunt. So just take, take this time and just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you. And then if, if you sense that maybe this is a good day to ask somebody to pray with you, then of course we'll pray but this is this is your time between you and God so Holy Spirit I'm just gonna ask that you would bless us as a church family thank you Lord for every single person here Lord thank you that it's not a mistake Lord that there are there aren't coincidences or anything like that Lord that that for today we're where we need to be and Holy Spirit would you come and speak to each and every one of us about what this bit looks like. And Lord, we invite you to, we lay down our own ideas and we invite you to come and speak your ideas. And we offer you our hearts. Amen.